uh, to you. I guess I've entered pretty much the last time I will get to say that this year. Uh, I've been trying to say that all month to you. Christmas is coming and it is uh, finally upon us. If you've been here with us, you'll recall, and if you haven't been here with us, I can probably try to catch you up really quick. What we've done over the course of the last month is we started all the way at the beginning, and I mean like the beginning, like in, in Genesis. And in Genesis, we looked at the first three, three chapters, and we saw in Genesis chapter 1 where God has created the world. God's created everything in the world because we saw how God has created the world and everything in the world. We were able to see really clearly God had rights to command certain things from these people whom he's created. And you know, he commanded these certain things from the people whom he created, and about the time he does that, they decide they're not going to be obedient. And so the Lord, as he's commanded Adam and Eve, hey, here's what, here's what I'm commanding you to do. Here's what's going to be best for you. Here's what you ought to do. This is the way you ought to live and should live. Adam and Eve turn and respond and say, well, we, we don't really care, Lord, what you think uh, we ought to do or how you think we ought to live. We're just going to do that ourselves. So as you see Adam and Eve doing that in Genesis chapter 3, we see they bring in sin and death into the world. Here comes judgment upon us, but at the same time that judgment is coming upon us, we walk away from Genesis chapter 3 of people who can have hope. Because even as the, these people whom the Lord's created has rebelled against him, the Lord turns and promises, I'm going to do something about it. I'm sending someone who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent to defeat and to undo the effects of sin and death that have been ushered into the world by Satan through these people who rebelled against the Lord. So we leave Genesis chapter 3 of people knowing that judgment's a real reality for us because we've uh, sinned. Adam and Eve sinned and all of us are caught up with them. Thanks a lot, Adam. Really appreciate you, uh, Adam. But we also walk away of people with hope, knowing that the Lord intends to do something about it. And then you'll recall, we jumped way, way, way down the road, way on down the line in the flow of God's plan to redeem a people to the book of Isaiah. We find ourselves in the book of Isaiah. The Lord is promising, okay, I am going to deal with sin by forgiving it. I'm, wi I'm willing to, to deal with sin by forgiving you of your sin. Come and let us, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, I'm going to make them as white as snow. That's the promise that Isaiah gives to these people, these people, these people living in Judah, these people who are facing some of the consequences of their sin, their promise is there's coming Someone to do something about it. Isaiah chapter 9, we see one of his names is he's the Prince of Peace. There's someone coming to establish peace between God and his people. He's on the way. And then we turn from Isaiah and we looked at that promise. Okay, God's going to do something to forgive our, our sin. Here comes the Prince of Peace, someone to make peace between us and God. And then we just ask the, the really candid question, like, how's that going to work? That's what we spend our time doing Last week, how is it? We got questions we got to ask. How is it that God's going to forgive our sin if we really are sinners and we really are? How's He going to forgive our sin while simultaneously being true to His justice and being true to His righteousness and being true to to His word, like His word that says He will by no means clear the guilty? How's God going to do that? How's God going to forgive sinners, and how in the world is it he's going to forgive sinners without clearing them of their guilt or sweeping it under the rug? And we turned last week to Jeremiah chapter 31, 
And we explored that this is going to happen in the new covenant. That God is going to forgive a people in the new covenant. And these people are new covenant people. They're, they're dependent on this promise that's coming. But then that left us with that really sticky question. Okay, like, so still, like, how does that work? So if the answer is the new covenant, then how does it work in the new covenant? And that took us over to Romans 3, where we examined a little bit of the new covenant, and we saw very clearly that this hinges on Christ, and not just on Christ, but a very particular aspect of Christ. Remember Romans 3, this is where we left it last week. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's the new covenant. The new covenant is the the, the message of Christmas, and we're thinking about Christmas and it coming. The Old Testament saying it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And the message is not just that God's like going to deal with our sin and wipe it away. The message is in the coming of Christmas, the Lord Jesus is, is actually living in the place of his people, and dying in the place of his, of, his, of his people so that the wrath of God, which should be on people like me and you, is actually counted towards Jesus so that his righteousness can be counted towards us. That's the message of the new covenant. That's how we can be forgiven of our sin and God simultaneously be true and righteous. He honors his word that he's not going to clear the guilty of their sin. He's actually going to count it towards his son. But you say, Thomas, okay, look, you've already told us that. Like all month long, that's what you've told us. So we're now gathered here to get today, together as this people who all managed to roll out of bed this morning. We got out of, our, out of our warm beds and walked out into the cold air. We've trudged up here to the church. We got stuff to do. It's Christmas Eve. We got last minute Christmas shopping that we got to finish up. We got to go spend time with our family. We don't want to see some of them, but we're going to go see some of them anyway. So we're, we're kind of busy. We got stuff to do. So since you've got us all here, like, could you tell us something new? Could you like explore something you haven't already explored this morning? Sure, I'd be happy to. I'm glad you asked. Y'all read my mind. This morning, what we're going to try to do is take up the question, how in the world is it? Like, how is it that we, as this new covenant people, if this is who we're going to be, what does it look like to be a new covenant person? So if we've got to be a new covenant people, a people who, who've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, whose wrath, the wrath of God aimed at us has been taken by Jesus, like if we're going to be those type of people, what does that look like? And if we need this type of faith that would receive the Lord Jesus in this saving way that puts us in the new covenant, how do we get it? How do we get that faith and what does that look like? Let's try to answer that question. Let's do it this morning from the text of Ezekiel chapter 36. If you would take your Bibles and go ahead and turn over there. While you turn over there, what I'm going to uh, ask you this morning or fill in just a little bit this morning with with a prophet, uh, Ezekiel, is you just might want to know where he's coming from. He's in this kind of long line of prophets that we've dealt with over the past couple weeks. You had your prophet uh, Isaiah who came and told him, like, you better get it together. Judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. Your next one down the line is Jeremiah who says to the people of Judah, you better get it together. Judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. Jeremiah actually lives into the fulfillment of that promise. Like, he's there when the judgment starts. And, but then Ezekiel is this guy who actually starts preaching after they're already in exile. 
Like God's people have already been cast out of the land. And so Ezekiel starts his preaching in the land of Babylon. God's people are already receiving the punishment that they've been promised. And Ezekiel's unique in another way in that he is a preacher, got this very uh, interesting, very concerning promise from the Lord. The Lord said to him, Ezekiel, Zeke, listen up. These people are not going to listen to you. They will not hear you. They will not hear you because they cannot hear you. Their hearts are so hard. They are so set on rebelling against me that you can come and say whatever you want to say, however you want to say it, and they ain't going to hear you because they're not willing to. But Ezekiel, I want you to go and say it anyway. And Ezekiel, the reason I want you to go and say it anyway is because there's a day on the way. Remember, Ezekiel, I've promised a new covenant. And in the new covenant, there will be a people who are willing to hear my word. So Ezekiel, go and prophesy. Ezekiel, go and, go and preach a message of judgment, knowing they won't hear you. And Ezekiel, I want you also to extend this message of hope. And so we're going to center in on this message of hope that Ezekiel comes uh, preaching this morning. If you would, pick up with me. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22. Therefore, uh, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I'll vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them, and the nations will know that I'm the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries, and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I'll give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules." You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness, and will summon all the grain, and make it abundant, and lay no famine upon you. I'll make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Would you pray with me? O oh Lord, uh, we come here gathered on this Christmas Eve morning. Uh, and Lord, we just want you to show us from your word what it looks like to be a new covenant person. Lord, we pray that you would show us how to be a new, new covenant person. We ask, Lord, that you would do that by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I just want you to note how that text started. Just look back at verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you've profaned among the nations to which you came. Here's what just happened. The Lord's saying, 
you people who are identified as my people, though you don't functionally act like you're my people, what y'all have done is made an absolute mockery out of who I am. You're supposed to represent me. All these nations around you think that you represent me, and y'all have gone and been a disobedient people towards me. Like, you've profaned my name among the nations. My holy name, you've profaned it because you've gone out to these people around you. You've been cast out into exile, and all these peoples of the world know you're supposed to represent the God of Israel, and you've misrepresented me. I'm not who you people make me look like I am. You've profaned my name among the nations. But listen up, Israel. I'm going to do something about it. There's a day on the way. There's something coming. Like, it's on, the, it's on the way. And I just want you to know, just be aware, Israel. Like, it's not because, the reason I'm going to do this, is not because you are just a great, accomplished, righteous people. Not going to be the reason. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of of my holy name. So I'm about, to, I'm about to do something. That's what the Lord says. I'm, I'm about to do something. I'm about to do something despite your disobedience and something that will be for the blessing of the people. I'm going to do something. Lord, what are you about to do? Verse 23. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I'm the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. In short, this is what just happened right there. The Lord just said, here's what I'm about to do. Despite the fact you've made me out to not be who I am, I'm going to show that I'm holy. I'm going to show the nation, the world. Like People are going to know I'm holy, which means distinct, set apart, weighty, uh, deserving to be taken seriously. The people of Israel have gone and have not acted like that's who the Lord is. But the Lord says, I'm about to show everybody that's me. I'm holy. I'm worthy of worship. I am distinct. There's something weighty about me. And despite your disobedience, I'm going to show that anyway. And the result is going to be that the nations will know, like, I am the Lord. They're going to know who I am. How? Lord, how are you going to do that? What's your plan to do that? What are you about to do to make that come to pass? Verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Sure, there, there's a day on the way. Like, it, it's coming. I, I'm going to do something. What I'm going to do is deliver you. I'm going to take you back from the nations. I'm going to gather you from these countries you've been cast off to, and I'm going to bring you in your own land. Like, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to bring you back to where you belong. There's a day on the way. This is going to come, and it's going to come in the new covenant. What's it going to look like? Lord, Lord, what are you going to do? How's the salvation going to work? Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. Clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. In short, forgiveness. 
There, there are people who are filthy, and he's saying, I'm going to make you clean. I'm going to cleanse you. You're an unclean people. You do unclean things. You worship gods that aren't gods, and guess what? Like, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to cleanse you. Like, forgiveness is coming. We saw last week. This is a new covenant promise. This is a new covenant reality. How is it that the Lord is going to forgive these people? The answer is the new covenant. It's coming. There's a day on the way. Christmas is coming. And then maybe we just want to ask the question really pertinent to the question we're trying to answer this morning. Like, how do we? If that's coming. If Christmas is coming. If the new covenant's coming. Like, how do we get in on it? How's that happen? Verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Now remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Remember, their biggest problem, the problem that the Lord addressed to Ezekiel, like why these people aren't going to hear him, why they can't hear him, even as Ezekiel is calling them to repent, the reason they can't do that is because their hearts are hard. They're not malleable. They're not willing to consider what God would say. They're so dead set on their rebellion. They're so dead set on doing their own thing, their own way, trusting their own selves, that they're not interested in hearing what the Lord's got to say. And the Lord says, so, so, so here's what's going to happen to change that reality. The problem is your hard heart. The good news is I'm going to give you a new heart. Like the good news is I'm going to take out your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, a heart that's soft, that's malleable, that's vulnerable, that's receptive to my word. I'm going to do that for you. This is a major factor in terms of you getting to be in the new covenant. I'm going to actually make it where you can respond to me. Verse 27, and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. I'm not just going to give you a new heart. I'm not just going to give you a heart that's receptive, malleable, vulnerable, to be able to be shaped by me. I'm going to give you my spirit. Your problem, Israel, Judah, y'all's issue is that you have these rebellious spirits in you. You're, you're controlled by your desire to rebel against me and to do your own thing and to trust in yourself. And so here's how I'm going to fix that. I'm going to give you my spirit. You're going to be led by me. And as a result, you're going to be, instead of careful to do your own thing, you're going to be careful to follow me and careful to obey all that I've commanded you. Like, like that's going to be how this thing works. This is your entrance into the new covenant. New heart, new spirit. This is how you're going to get in this thing. And then what in the world does that lead us to? 28. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I, I just, I have to do something here just to maybe, if nothing else, help you realize I'm not crazy. Like, we are teetotally talking about the new covenant. There's no way around this. We've spent all month talking about the new covenant. And so I just want to connect the reality we're talking about the new covenant. They were just promised in, in 27 and 28. Like, here's, here's, the, here's the payoff. Y'all are going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. The way I'm going to do that is by delivering you from your uncleanness, or as I would say, forgiving your sin. That's what he's talking about. And so I just want to remind you of the text we were in last week, just so you'll know that you heard a sermon about the new covenant this morning. Jeremiah wrote last week, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant 
I'm, making a, I'm cutting a new deal with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like, it is not going to be like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them. I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one say to his neighbor and each to his brother, saying, Know the Lord. They shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. As we come looking at Ezekiel 36 this morning, we're just continuing to talk about this new covenant. This new covenant that is established by the fact that the Lord is going to make his people his actual people. And he really will be their God in the sense that they conform to him. And that's all going to happen because he's willing to forgive their sin. And we saw last week the reason he's willing to forgive their sin is because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is coming and he's going to live and he's going to die. And he's not just going to die to wipe away sin. He's going to die to take sin. He's going to die to actually absorb the wrath of God so that God can have a relationship with his people who are credited righteous because of what Jesus has done. That's what we're looking at this morning. This is the new covenant. The promise is that Christmas is coming. And what, again, what, what happens then? Like, can what, what, what's the rest of this promise going to be like? 29, middle of 29. I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of your field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. So you've got the people of God in the presence of God receiving the, the blessing of God. Ezekiel's promise is, just like Jeremiah's promise was, there's a day on the way. It's coming. A new covenant is coming. God is cutting a new deal with his people. It will not be like the covenant that he cut with them at Mount Sinai, the covenant that they broke at Mount Sinai, the covenant they went on to break a million times after that. No, it's going to be different. He's going to give them new hearts. He's going to put his spirit within them. And the result's going to be that God's people will be in his presence and will experience his blessing. There's a day on the way. The new covenant's coming. Christmas is coming. Finally, the result, verse 31. Then you'll remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It's not for your sake, just in case you forgot from verse 22. It is not for your sake that I will act declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. The result's going to be a broken and contrite and humble people who hate their sin. That's what the new covenant's going to produce. It's going to produce a bunch of people who because they trust Jesus, because they know they're fully dependent on Jesus, they know that they don't bring anything to the table. And so when through the new covenant, they get a seat at the table, they're, they're going to be a people who hate their sin. They're, they're going to be a people who know that everything about them that's good is because of Jesus. Who know that everything about them that's of any worth has is, is been given to them by God. They have not earned it. They've been granted it. That will be this new covenant people. Ezekiel's message 
chapter 36, this little part we read this morning, is that the new covenant is coming. What you were promised in the garden, what you were promised in Isaiah, what you were promised in Jeremiah, like it's coming, it's on the way, and here's what it's going to look like. So, these new covenant people, what does it look like? What does this passage just teach us that it looks like to be a new covenant person? And what does it look like to have this type of faith that, that places us in the new covenant? If Romans 3.25 is saying we've got to receive this new covenant by faith, we've got to receive Jesus' work in our place, on our behalf, by faith, I just want to know what does that type of faith look like and how do I get it? We saw four answers in this passage. Verse 26 gives you the first one. What does it look like to be a new covenant person? Well, the new covenant is inhabited by people who have a new heart. Again, Israel's root problem, Judah's root problem, was they had these hearts. They were so rebellious. They were were so dead set on doing their own thing, in their own way, that they could not hear the Lord. I know people like that. I know people who are so dead set on thinking about things the way they already think about them and living the way that they already live that they're not open to anything outside of them changing the way that they think or live. I know people like that. It's really easy. It's really easy to find people like that in those out there somewhere people, isn't it? But if when I said I know people like that, if the first thought you had was I know people like that too, then brother and sister, you're... You're a prime candidate to be one of those people yourself. Because those people aren't just the out there somewhere type people. Like those could be like in here type people. What it looks like to have a hard heart, what it looks like to have a heart that's not malleable to the Lord is that you're not receptive to being changed by the Lord. That's what it means. It doesn't mean you can't learn things. You could be the type of person who sits here even right now, even this morning, you whip out your pen and you, you track through your Bible with me. You can follow my argument. You can take out a notepad. You can take notes. You can do all that. You can learn a lot of things. But if you're not receptive to being changed, the way that you think and the way that you live, being changed by what the Word of God says, then I hate to break it to you, but you got a hard heart. Do you have a heart that's malleable to the will of God, this malleable to the word of God, this vulnerable that's actually out there on the table to be impacted by what God says? The Bible's saying that's what new covenant people have. This is who new covenant people are. They're people who are willing to hear and respond and do whatever they gotta do to get in line with the Lord. That's what it looks like to have a new heart, a malleable heart, a heart that's ready to get in line with the Lord. Do you have one of those? New covenant people do. What does it look like to be a new covenant person? What does it look like to have the type of faith that puts us in the new covenant? Verse 27 says, these new covenant people, they're people who have the spirit of God in them. Now look, 
Christmas Eve. I remember y'all telling me that. I remember y'all telling me that you had a bunch of stuff to do, that you got to go places, you got to do things, you got to get things, and us putting this church service right here in the middle of your days kind of messed you up. I remember that. I'm going to try to honor that and respect that just a little bit. Uh, so I will refrain from launching into a treatise on who the Holy Spirit is this morning. I, I intend to set aside a Sunday to do that in the spring. I'll be sure to let you know. You can come back for that. Or you can just come every week between now and then. We do, we do this every week. That way you won't miss it at all. So you can come do that too. But regardless, what we have to say and what I will say, because it's what I must say at the end of the day, is that for you to be in the new covenant, you have to have the Holy Spirit. The Bible plainly is telling us that. Romans 8, verse 9. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. You have to have the Holy Spirit. And again, with, without launching into a treatise on the Holy Spirit and trying to define all these things, like here's what you got to know. If you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit works in you to convict you of things like sin and righteousness and judgment. Is that true of you? Are you a new covenant person. The Holy Spirit also produces fruit in you. Fruit like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Do you have those things? Is that true of you? Because the Bible is saying that in order for you to be in the new covenant, you have to have the Holy Spirit. And this is the type of work that the Holy Spirit does. Is that you? Are you characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? Are you characterized by the work of the Spirit in you? And having the Holy Spirit, these people who've been given the Holy Spirit, well, it means something very, very clearly for how these new covenant people live. Verse 27, again, continues. What does it look like to be a new covenant person? What does it look like to have the type of faith that puts us in the new covenant? Well, verse 27 says that the new covenant is inhabited by people who follow God. Who follow God. I want to try to clarify something. I'm going to clarify it as, as quickly and as simply as I can. So hear me as carefully as you can. The new covenant that Jeremiah promised, that Ezekiel is promising this morning, it is founded solely and completely and fully on the finished work of Jesus. It hangs completely on the fact that Jesus was born and that Jesus lived and that Jesus died and that Jesus rose. And he did all of those things in our place on our behalf so that his righteousness might be counted to me even as my sin is counted to him. That, that is how that transition works. Like that's the deal that the Lord is cutting with these people, which is called the new covenant. And that, so that's a finished work. That's an over and done with work. I'm not bringing anything to the table. I'm not earning my salvation. I'm trusting Jesus and what he's done for my salvation. That's the foundation of the new covenant. And those in the new covenant take great care to obey God. because they have the Holy Spirit of God in them, because they put their trust in Jesus, they, they now come and willingly, not like it's a burden, they want to follow God instead of following themselves. That's what characterizes these new covenant 
people. People who actually, by believing in God, are taking great care to obey God, which really kind of runs into a conflict, kind of clashes with Christmas lights, doesn't it? I don't hate Christmas lights. I love Christmas lights. I went to look at Christmas lights the other week because I love them so much. And when I was driving around in this one neighborhood, I turned the corner, and there was just this big word that said, believe. Like, believe what? What am I supposed to believe? What does that mean? What do you want me to believe? Abstract, abstractly believe what? I'm so grateful that God is not so confusing. He defines what it means to believe. If we're going to be a believing people, we're going to be a people who are careful to obey his rules. That's what it looks like to trust God, that I actually believe that he knows what's better for my life than I do. So put your trust in Jesus means I'm going to follow God. Brothers and sisters, do you have this type of faith? Are you this type of new covenant person? Do you really trust Jesus? I can say for a fact that you don't if you're living in sin. If you're content to go along in sin that you know for a fact is sin and you're kind of cool to just let it hang out in your life, then I can just tell you with great, great confidence, you do not look like a new covenant person because these new covenant people are careful to follow God. So if you are living in sin and you want to say, I'm a Christian, I love God, I I believe, like that Christmas light said, in God, that's fine. You can fool, you might fool me, you might fool yourself. You might can fool other people who don't know what the Bible's teaching about the new covenant. But you're, you're not fooling God. Because the Bible says that these new covenant people, these people who are in a relationship with God, are characterized by the fact that they carefully, they want to follow God. Are you a new covenant person? Because on a, on a related note, the last thing we see in this text about what it means to be a new covenant person, what it looks like to be a new covenant person, what it looks like to have the type of faith that places us in the new covenant is in verses 31 and 32. You remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abomination. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways. O house of Israel. The new covenant is inhabited by people who hate their sin. And I could say that like it's, a, like it's a new reason, but it's really not. It's just the flip side of every other reason that we've looked at this morning. God's people hate their sin. These new covenant people hate their sin because it's what keeps them from being malleable to God. It, it, it's what prevents them from following the Spirit of God. It's, it's what holds them back from obeying His command. So consequently, of course they hate it. Of course they don't want anything to do with it. You can't sit here and say, I'm having faith in the Lord Jesus who took the wrath of God for my sin, but I still kind of love some of that sin that He got crucified for. That match just doesn't add up, brothers and sisters. The new covenant is inhabited by these people who hate their sin. So, so do, like, do you hate your sin? Again, I can emphatically say that you don't if you're content to just kind of live in it. If God says move and you say, no, I'm good. Like, I don't have to wonder if you're a new covenant person. If you're content to dwell in sin, you do not appear to be a new covenant believer because these new covenant people hate their sin. 
So at the end of, end of all this, the end of the matter, I just want to ask you, is having seen from this passage, I hope, really clearly, like what it looks like to be a new covenant person, I just want to ask you, are you a new covenant person? Are you characterized by these things? Have you been given a new heart? Do you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you? Because of that, are you careful to walk in His ways? Because of that, do you hate your sin? That's what the Bible says it means to be in the new covenant. That's what the Bible says it means to have the type of faith that places us in the new covenant. Are you a new covenant person? Do you have the brand of faith that the Bible says new covenant people have? I pray that you do. But what if you don't? What if you don't? What if you look at this right here in Ezekiel 36 and you say, that's not me. Like, I, I don't have a new heart that's malleable to God. I don't appear to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. None of the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces is really present and active in my life. Consequently, I don't really strive to follow God. Consequently, I don't really hate my sin. I kind of sit around. Like, what if, what if that's you? First of all, I just want you to know that I don't think it's taboo for you to be in that situation. It's not abnormal for you to be in that situation because in my, in my theology, very contrary to the, to the air we breathe in in the Bible Belt, like I don't have some escape clause where everybody who's a red-blooded American who owns a Bible, whose grandma had perfect attendance at church 45 years ago, like you don't have to go to heaven just because that's true. So if, if that doesn't characterize you, that's okay. You can just say, I'm not a new covenant person. But, but I probably should leave you with like, so what do we do now? Let me just take a minute to say, like, if that's you, if you've come here and you're saying, I'm not a new covenant person, I don't look like I'm a new covenant person, those things don't characterize my life. Like, okay, like, what does the Bible have for you? Ezekiel 36, this passage that we've dealt with. Very clearly, the, the Lord says 13 times, the way it's recorded in my translation, the Lord says 13 times, I will. The Lord says five times, you shall. The message from Ezekiel 36 is very clear. We're waiting on something. I don't, like, I don't know if you passed third grade English. It was a tough time for a lot of us. But that, that's, that's future tense. Like it's, few, it's forward facing. We're waiting on something. The new covenant is coming. Christmas is coming. Indeed, Christmas is coming. But it's 2023. Which means Christmas has already come. Christmas came over 2,000 years ago, and it came to this little tiny village called Bethlehem, a place where the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace we've been waiting on, was born. And as this Prince of Peace, as he, as he grew up, uh, people started to realize, huh, he looks like he might have something to tell us about the new covenant. I wonder what he might have to say about the new covenant and how we get in this thing and what that looks like. And so they would come to him and they would talk to him and people would ask him questions. And one of those people was a guy named Nicodemus. And he came to Jesus one night and he wanted to ask Jesus some questions. And, and here's how that conversation went down. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, hey, we know. We know, Jesus, that you're a teacher come from God and that no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? 
Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, natural birth, and the spirit, second birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. How in the world does a person come to get this faith? How in the world does a person come to get what they need to be in the new covenant? It's really, really clear. Jesus' answer to Nicodemus was clear. It was simple, and it was so simple that Nicodemus couldn't hear it. He couldn't hear it because he had a hard heart. He couldn't hear it because he was more interested in keeping his status and keeping his worldview and thinking the things that he already thought and living the way that he already lived that when Jesus told him the very clear, plain answer, he couldn't hear it. Jesus says, Nicodemus, here's what it means, man. You've got to be born again. You need, like the very simple thing you need to have happen is you need God to remove your heart of stone that's not malleable to him, that doesn't want to follow him, that doesn't want to hear the words that I'm speaking right now. You need to remove that and give you a, a soft heart. And you need him to take out your rebellious spirit, your spirit that's set on doing your own thing, your own way, trusting in yourself, and you need him to give you his spirit. And Nicodemus, if that happens, like if you're born again, guess what? You're in. Welcome to the new covenant, Nicodemus. Merry Christmas, Nicodemus. That's what it takes to be in the new covenant. Brothers and sisters, the Old Testament is saying, like, hey, look, flashing lights, Christmas is coming. It's on the way. And the New Testament saying really clearly, Jesus is saying really clearly, hey, Christmas has come. You can be born again. You can have your rebellious heart and your rebellious spirit taken out and God will give you a heart that's receptive to follow him and receptive to his word. And he'll give you his spirit who will change your life. Because Jesus has come and has lived and has died in your place, and is risen again for your justification, you can be born. Christmas is coming. And Christmas has come. Has Christmas come for you? Pray with me. Lord, we trust in the sufficiency of your word. We trust that you can make things clear that aren't always clear. We trust that even as we are prone in our flesh to be rebels against you, that is our inclination, we know that your Holy Spirit can overcome it. So Lord, make us a soft-hearted people right now. Make us a people right now who are willing to look at your word, consider what it has said, what it does say, what it is saying to us, get in line with us. Lord, I pray that those who are not new covenant people would look to Jesus and become new covenant people by the power of your spirit and live. Lord, we ask that you would make that happen. We certainly can't do it ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, what we're uh, about to do, uh, Wade, Jason, y'all can go ahead and cut the lights off for us. Uh, the rest of us, Terry's going to come and play, Matt's going to come uh, and sing. We're going to sing uh, Silent Night. You can just follow their lead. Uh, all of my lighter guys are going to light candles. So at this point in time, if everybody would get up and make your way to the edge of the room.
we'll just make a big circle around, uh, and we'll go ahead at this time and grab our candles and sing uh, Silent Night.
Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we are so thankful that Christ the Savior has been born. That's why we're gathered here. Uh, Lord, we pray that in our hearts and minds, the reality that Christ the Savior has been born would dominate everything else and color everything else in this season for us. Lord, that's my prayer for us as a people. Lord, I pray that as Christ the Savior has been born, that, that the truth would be that he has been born in our own hearts. Lord, that we would genuinely be a people who, who live for him and through him and by faith in him. Lord, make that true of us. Lord, we do desperately need your work to continue in our midst. We pray that it would, that we might live lives that glorify you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, well, uh, your candles are doing okay, but mine is doing fairly well. But you can blow them out whenever you want. I'm going to go ahead and uh, dismiss you guys. I'll be at the back. Uh, what I would just remind you of... Uh, you got contacts with me, you got contacts with people here, I got cards on the table. If you need to talk or want to talk about how Christ has called us to respond to his message, uh, there would give, we'd have no more joy than to do that with you uh, this Christmas season. So uh, Merry Christmas to you uh, from all of us, and you are dismissed.